Thanks for checking out Free Chapel Young Adults. We're so excited to share this conversation with you from our last Third Wednesday gathering. We love to help you get more connected at FCYA here in Orange County. For more info, just give us a follow on Instagram or join us next month. We hope you enjoy this episode. We love you and we hope to see you soon. Come on, anybody excited to be in the house tonight? That was cool, but anybody like excited to worship Jesus tonight? It is a great honor for me to be here, for me to be a part of this. I believe there's a beautiful hunger and desperation in this room. And I'm believing that God's going to meet you right where you are. That it's a Wednesday night and you could be wherever. You could be doing whatever, but you've decided to be in the house of God. That you've decided to open up your life so that he could speak to you. And I believe that whenever we walk into a room with a level of expectation that God doesn't just meet it, but he exceeds it. But maybe you walked in here, you didn't know what to expect. Somebody invited you, you didn't know what it was going to be like. I believe that God's going to meet you too. That wherever you are, you're not here by accident. And I'm just so grateful for this team, Pastor Cody, Pastor Jason. Come on, can we thank God for your incredible leaders? Uh, it has been such a great joy to be able to spend time with them. And, and really, there's a few people in this house that's just been family to me. Angel, uh, grateful that... Uh, you guys have a community that goes far beyond what you guys are doing right here and right now. And so I'm just thankful that I get to be a part of it. Uh, like Pastor Cody said, my name is Manushka. I am living in Miami, Florida, which I think is incredible, but I'm from the great state of New York, from Brooklyn, New York. And if you're from Brooklyn, you just got to make sure that you sneak that in there. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of this and, and get to be a part of what God is doing tonight. And so we're going to get into God's word. Did anybody come to hear a word from the Lord? You can turn your Bibles to Psalm 118. And really, as you are turning there and getting there, I really started the beginning of this year with a challenge to myself. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was getting getting into God's word, but then also making sure that I was committing it to memory. And so uh, I challenged myself and I was like, a challenge is not fun on my own. I'm going to challenge other people. So I challenged a few students that we have in our college to memorize scripture with me. I have one of my students with me today. Marianne is in the house and she can, she can attest to this every week. We've got to memorize scripture. Do you know this week's scripture? She doesn't know it. She doesn't. She's like, I didn't get time to memorize it. But each and every week we're taking time to memorize scripture because I believe that it's so important that we know God's word. The Bible says that how can a young man stay pure? It's by living according to your word. And the only way that I could live according to his word is if I actually know his word. And I don't want to just open up God's word every third Wednesday or when I come to church on Sundays, but I want to get to know God. So my challenge to you that when you come into a space like this, uh, that you get something from it, but then when you go home, there's still work that has to be done, uh, that you should get into God's word. Take, take some time to memorize his word and keep it committed to your heart. That thy word have I hidden in my heart, so I want sin against you. And so I've been challenging myself this year, and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to just challenge the people that I get to be around, just maybe memorize scripture this year. Take some time to commit it to memory. I believe it's going to be a great help. And so I'm going to be reading from Psalms 118. I don't have it memorized. Verses 19 to 26. It says, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. 
This is the gate through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. This psalm is from a collection of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. This word, you might have heard the word hallelujah, means praise. And this collection of psalms would be the psalms that the Jewish people would sing and still do sing in tradition during certain festivals like the Passover. And this was the psalm that the followers of Jesus were singing as he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. That they recited Psalm 118. It says it in Luke 19. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So today I want to talk to you from this thought, gates and stones. Can we pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to just speak and do what he does? Lord, we thank you for your presence, Lord. You are in this room. And as we open up ourselves and we open up our lives, Father, we pray that you would meet us. That you would meet us right where we are. God, I pray that the word that needs to be spoken tonight is released. That God, that before even the end of the night, that you would begin to do a work in our hearts. That you'd begin to do things, God, that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. Father, we Eliminate the distractions, Lord. Whatever it is that we walked in here with, the burdens, the hurt, the pain, whatever it is, Lord, we just lay it down and we just say, Lord, speak. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There's a pattern that I have noticed throughout history, and you'll see it throughout generation, that every generation creates for itself language. That if you look throughout time and you look throughout history, there, there's language and lingo and slang that every generation creates for itself to relate to one another. This not only happens generationally, this also happens regionally. That depending on where you are from, where you grew up, you might have some words that you say that other people might not understand. Growing up in Brooklyn, there's some terms that I probably would say right now that you wouldn't understand. So I'm going to test you guys. I'm going to see if y'all know any New York terms. Have y'all heard this one? It's mad brick outside. Somebody know? Who doesn't know what that means? Okay, there's some people. So if you say it's mad brick outside, that means it's really cold. There's really two levels of cold in New York. You go outside, you're like, it's mad brick. Or you go outside, you're like, oh, nah. If it's an oh nah, I'm staying home. I'm not going anywhere. When I moved to Miami, I realized there was just certain things that they would say that I just, I needed a translator. And it was not because everybody spoke Spanish. 
I needed a translator because I was like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Like, we don't, we don't use these terms where I'm from. I'm sure you guys have terms that you guys use from where you're from, but it, it happens generationally. It happens regionally, but then also culturally. I'm Haitian, and so I speak a different language, and there's certain things that even if I translated it for you verbatim, it wouldn't make any sense. You'll see throughout history, like if you grew up in the 80s, they'd say things like, she's a bad mamma jamma. <laughs> or like if you grew up in the 90s, I'm like, oh, you look fly. In the early 2000s, there was this term, I don't know where it came from. Like, I always think, like, who created these and how did they spread? Like, there was a thing going on for a while. They'd be like, oh, your eyebrows are on fleek. Your hair is on fleek. I was like, I don't even know what that means, but I feel like right now for my generation and my culture, my time, like, the way that we compliment each other, I'll look at my friend, I'm like, okay, hair. Okay, pants. And sometimes I'm like, is there more to the compliment here? Like, what? Is, you want to say something to me or just like, just name the thing that you like? Okay, hat. But I, I really, I really love the term, Gen Z terms are my favorite. I'm not going to lie. I have thoroughly enjoyed learning them. I really do get to be around a lot of students and sometimes I have no idea what they're talking about. But I've just learned to just listen and ask questions. I finished preaching one night and somebody came up to me and I was like, yo, you ate. And I was like, I did eat today. What are you talking about? It's like, you ate, left no crumbs. I'm like, are you calling me greedy? Like, I was like, what are you saying to me? They was like, no, you did exceptionally well tonight. I was like, I was like, oh, I like that. I'm gonna use that. There's another one. My students will use this all the time. I'll like give them some instructions, tell them what to do. And they'll be like, understood, heard, say less. And then they'll do the thing I told them to do. And I was like, no, you actually needed me to say more. You did not understand. And you, you didn't hear me. I don't think you fully got what I needed to say. But my personal favorite, I love the term mid. Mid has been, because it's kind of like insulting, but it's like low-key insulting. So how's that restaurant mid? I use that all the time now, I promise. But this new one is new to me and it's probably not new to y'all. Y'all probably heard this, but like I went, to, I went out to eat somewhere and I like posted it on Instagram and somebody's like, where are you? Don't gatekeep. And I'm like, I went on urbandictionary.com. I'm like, let me, what does that mean? And I was like, okay, gatekeeping, don't withhold information. And really what I love about this generation is that you guys have collectively decided that gatekeeping is not cool. That withholding important information is not cool, but like gatekeeping, it's like, you know the person who gatekeeps. Like, you're like, oh, where'd you get that outfit? Oh, I thrifted it. Like, come on, you lying, you got it from Zara, okay? <laughs> they don't wanna tell you where they went on vacation or how they got the discount. They like gatekeep on all the good stuff. You're like, tell me the information. But gatekeeping is as old as time. There's a story in Matthew 28. Jesus, he dies on the cross. He's put into a tomb. He resurrects, and the guards that were supposed to be watching him, they realize what happened, and they go to the chief priests, the people who executed Jesus, and they tell them that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And so they, the, the priests tell them, I need you to make up a story. Tell everyone that the disciples stole Jesus from the tomb. And so what the guards did, they could have, spread the truth, but they decided to gatekeep, spread a different story. And the Bible says, till this day, there's some people who believe that the disciples would have stole Jesus from the tomb. Gatekeeping is as old as time, but I get it. Gatekeeping is not cool, but there are some things that people should probably gatekeep. Like there's some things that like, there's some restaurants that I don't want to tell people about. There was something that happened a few weeks ago and I was kind of annoyed about it. Like maybe it was like probably a few months ago. It's like viral Chipotle hack, like went all over the internet. And I've been going to Chipotle for years, like 
And when I go to Chipotle, I have to get the vinaigrette. Like, I'm not eating it without the vinaigrette. But I guess somebody on TikTok told the world that the vinaigrette was good. So for the past three weeks, I'm trying to go to Chipotle and get the vinaigrette, and it's sold out. I was like, you couldn't keep that one to yourself. You could, you got to tell people about that. There's certain things, it's just like, just, just hold that. But I, I've learned something, that there's certain things that we shouldn't gatekeep. It's like, I've received way too much joy to gatekeep. I've received way too much peace to gatekeep. And I don't have to worry about Jesus running out on joy. I don't have to worry about him running out on peace. I know Chipotle couldn't keep up with the demand, but you serve a God who can keep up with the demand that there is more than enough. And so I feel like I've learned from this generation that has decided to share everything. Get ready with me. Everything I ate in a day. Everything I ate in a day when I went to New York City. Like, I love it because I've learned so much information, but there's a beauty to sharing. I believe that there's some boundaries. I believe that there's some positives and there's some negatives, but I do believe there's something that we can learn from this principle. Like, what if we shared Jesus the way that we shared our lives? What if we shared the truth about Jesus the way that we share what we're doing in a day? Like, what if we took the same ideology and methodology and decided, you know what, I want to be just as creative in sharing Jesus. I want to show people the love of Jesus because I truly believe that there is something that could unlock if we share Jesus with the world in a way that would captivate them. That I believe that freedom would break out that I believe that people would get saved, that people would be radically changed if we made a decision to share Jesus. That I don't want to gatekeep on the best news ever. I don't want to gatekeep on the gospel. I don't want to keep it to myself. I don't want to just show up here by myself, get blessed and leave. Why? Because there are so many people who are hurting and who are broken, who are desperate, that have no place to turn. But the answer is right here in the room. And if I have the answer, why wouldn't I share it? If I have the truth, why wouldn't I tell somebody about it? That we have an opportunity to share Jesus. So I've made a decision. I want to be like Gen Z in theory. <laughs> I just, I, I love to see it. I love to see how people have been influenced. And, and I love to see people being influenced for the positive. I don't think there has ever been a time in history where the influence is in the, the hand of the common person. Usually it's the celebrity or the person with the most amount of money, but as long as you have an iPhone, you have an opportunity to influence someone. And so how can I leverage my influence? And your influence doesn't mean having a lot of followers. Sometimes we mistake influence for a follower count. We Mistake influence for popularity, but your influence is just, can I have an impact on somebody? It could just be one person. Could I use my impact on someone to help change their lives? See, for a long time, before I got into ministry, before I felt called to preach, I used to gatekeep. That I grew up in church, I knew the truth, but I kind of lived my life separate. I had my work life. I had my school life, I had my church life. My work life and my school life had no idea about my church life. And I would convince myself, I would say, well, I can't talk about Jesus in the workplace. It's unprofessional. Can't share Jesus here. It's not the right setting. 
was so interesting because my coworkers would share whatever they did, whoever they did. Can I be honest in the room? They would talk about what they did, what they smoked, what they drank, who they did it with. They would sit around the table. They would talk about their weekend, and they would get to me, and they'd be like, how was your weekend? What'd you do? Oh, nothing. Don't we do that? We're like, God, I don't have an opportunity to share the gospel in the moment that somebody's like, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Nothing, really. But you were at church, and now you just had an open window to tell somebody about Jesus. We're just like, I, I can't talk about it in the workplace. I can't talk about it here. It's, it's inappropriate. But no, God is creating spaces and rooms for you to talk to maybe somebody one-on-one. Maybe it's that coworker or that friend that is really going through something and they tell you about their problems and you're just like, oh man, that's crazy. And instead of saying that's crazy, can you say, can I pray for you? And if they say yes, pray for them. And if they say no, pray for them at home. That you, you have an opportunity. Sometimes we just have to look for the opportunity. For me, I've just been praying, God, give me an opportunity to, to share Jesus. Lord, give me an opportunity to tell somebody about you. Lord, just make the way. And it could be as easy as sending somebody a sermon that you heard or sending them a song to encourage them or inviting them to church that, that you don't have to preach a full message to them. You could just open the door. You could just open up the space for people to see Jesus. About 12 years ago, I remember walking into a church in Brooklyn and a man by the name of Rich Wilkerson Jr. was preaching and he said something that completely changed my life. He was talking about how Jesus called the disciples and he said that, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he asked this question. He said, if you aren't fishing, are you really following? And it challenged me because at that time in my life, I wasn't fishing at all. Hadn't told anybody about Jesus. I didn't talk about my faith outside of church, that that I kept it to myself. From that day forward, it changed everything. That day, I was like, Lord, give me an opportunity to fish. Give me an opportunity to tell people about your love. And it doesn't have to look like how everybody else does it. You don't have to do it on TikTok. You don't have to start a podcast. You don't have to become a preacher to be able to share the love of Jesus right where you are. Where is your circle of influence? Where is your sphere of influence? Who are the people that you can impact? Who are the people that you can open up the gates for? See, the psalmist, he says, open up the gates. He's saying, open up the gates for me. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. See, what a gate does, it it grants access. Gates keep things in and gates keep things out. In in Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come in with you and feast with you, and you will feast with me. And I believe there's some gates that God is calling us to open. That there are some areas of our lives that God is calling us to open up. That he's challenging us to step into the light and to step into freedom. And I believe that as we open up these gates, that he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing that we cannot contain. But we got to be open. So I want to talk about four gates 
that I believe that God is calling us to open. Firstly, I believe God is calling us to open up our heart gate. See, just because you show up to church doesn't mean your heart is open. It's because you show up to a service like this doesn't mean that you're open, but are you willing to open up your heart to what God has for you? Are you willing to open up to the possibilities of what God wants to do in you and through you? Ezekiel says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. See, if your heart feels hardened tonight, if your heart has been hardened by trauma and pain and hurt, he's saying, I want to give you a new heart. I want to do something new in you. I want to take that heart that has been broken and give you a new heart. I want to take that heart that has been hurting and give you a new heart. I want to take that heart that has felt cold, that has felt cold to people and cold to God and, and cold to this world. God saying, I want to give you a new heart. I want to do something new in you. I want to give you a heart of flesh. I want to renew something down on the inside of you that, that I want to change your heart. See, the heart is where your emotions sit, where your desires sit. And God is like, if you give me your heart, I can change your desires. That there have been things that you have been wrestling with for years and you're just like, God, take this away. And God's like, give me your heart. That I can change your intentions. That he can change your motivations. He's just saying, you just got to open up. You have got to open up to what I want to do in you and through you. Just exchange the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Many of you, you have your heart open, but it's open to the wrong thing. Then your heart has been open to the wrong kind of relationship. Your heart has been open to the wrong kind of opportunity. And God said, I need you to guard your heart. I need you to open it up to the things that are good for you. We have to open up our heart gate. We also have to open up our eye gate. Matthew 6 and 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Are you, willing up to, are you willing to open up the gates of your eyes? Because your, your eyes are your faculty of knowing. That your eyes do more than just see. My eyes can process how I feel. Because what I see can dictate what I feel. There's often times where I'm just like, I can't, I can't watch a scary movie or I can't watch that thing. Why? Because... It affects how I feel. And so what I watch can affect my emotions. So that means that I have to guard what I see. Then what am I consuming? What, what are my eyes beholding? What am I looking at? When you look at matters, 
that it's important that if you want to see, that you have to see the way that God sees. Because many of us, we, we look in the mirror and we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. That we can look at ourselves and we hate this about ourselves and we hate that about ourselves and we don't like this part of ourselves or that part. And, and the negative self-talk takes over and then all of a sudden we begin to see ourselves in a way that God does not see us. So when I'm asking God to open up my eyes, I'm asking him to open up my eyes so that I can see the way that he sees. That I desire to have vision and clarity because if I can see right, I can make the right decisions. If I have clarity, I can do the things that will help me move forward in life. We have to open up our eye gate. That I have to allow God to process what I see and how I see and to give me insight and foresight and to allow me to see things that I can't just see with my natural eyes. I want to see beyond. Because there's some things that, that I can't just process with my natural eyes. I've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help me see. That I really want to see. That I want to see how to navigate a situation. I want to see how to navigate my relationships. God, I want to see. My desire is to see. We have to open up our eye gates. But we also have to open up our ear gates that I have to open up my ears to hear from God. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distraction. That we could get advice from anywhere. You turn on YouTube, TikTok, you name it. You could get advice from everywhere. But I felt like God had told me the other day, stop taking advice from everyone. So you got to stop taking everybody's advice. All advice is not good advice. All advice is not helpful, and you can find whatever your answer you're looking for for your situation, but, but I want to make sure that I know what God says about a situation, that I want to be able to hear his voice. The Bible says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I'm grateful for mentors, and I'm grateful for leaders, and, and the reason why I'm grateful for them is because I know that they hear from God. And so whenever they're giving me advice, it's not just based on what they think, but it's, it's based on the word of God. That I want the advice that I'm adhering to my life to be based on something that is a firm foundation. That I can't grab hold of information from everywhere and think that it is going to benefit my life. I have to be careful of what I'm listening to. But I also need to open up my mouth gate. See, your words, your story, your, your sound, it's all necessary. It matters. See, some of us have been silenced by shame. Some of us have been silenced by our past, and, and we have not opened up our mouths because we're afraid. That we are ashamed. There was the Pharisees who told Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I don't want to let a rock cry out for me. I don't want to allow a stone to cry out for me. That I want to be able to open up my mouth. I believe that there is great power in praise. There's a story in the book of Samuel, and they are walking around the walls of Jericho. 
And for seven days, they are walking around the walls of Jericho, and they're given specific instructions that they're told that they are to walk for seven days and on the seventh day to march seven times and on the seventh time to open up their mouth and shout. And the moment that they opened up their mouth and shouted aloud is the moment that the walls came down. And I just want to let you know that there is power in your praise. That there have been some walls that have been put up in your life that if you could grab hold, that if you would just open up your mouth and praise, that those walls would come down. That if you would just open up your mouth and give God praise, the walls in your life would come tumbling down. I don't have to wait for a worship team to praise God. I don't have to wait for somebody else to do it for me. That if I would just understand that there is power when I praise, that the walls of anxiety could come down. That the walls of depression could come down. That the wall of suicidal thoughts could come down. If I only knew the power in my praise, I would never keep quiet. That if you only knew the power in your voice, that it would change the way that you would walk into a service. That you might start singing before the worship team. Because my praise has power that my voice has power that what God wants to do in me and through me is voice activated that when I lift up my voice something has to shift something has to change my situation cannot be the same there is power there's victory in your voice I was doing some research and I was researching the benefits of group singing now, group singing is not something that you can do often unless you're in a choir or if you go to church, but there are great benefits to group singing. So many different studies have talked about the benefits of group singing. Some of them are it reduces the symptoms of depression and anxiety. That it boosts your immune system. It enhances social connection. It can improve your breathing and posture. And it can increase happiness and well-being. And what I love about God is that worship is to him. And it is for him. But he includes us that as we worship, he heals us. That as we worship, he changes us. That as we worship, something happens down on the inside of us. And some people, we walk into church and we don't sing because we're like, that's not my song. I don't like that song. I'm waiting for them to sing Jaira. But if you would just grab hold of, I'm not going to miss a moment when I get into the presence of God. That I'm going to sing every chance that I get because as I worship him, he heals me. That as I worship him, he frees me. As I worship him, chains begin to break. That I want to make sure that every time I walk into the house of God and he gives me the opportunity to be in community and to be around the body of Christ, I don't care if I know the song. I don't care if I can sing on key. I don't care what's happening. I want to make sure that I'm lifting up my voice because the worship is to him, but he is healing me. Don't miss a moment. Maybe you've been the kind of person of like, man, I don't sing those songs. I don't sing when I come to church. That, that, that part's not for me. In Miami, I hear people say like, I don't like the concert. They think worship is the concert. It's like, I don't know about the concert. It's not a concert. 
we have an opportunity to join together in unity and something holy happens in the room something that we cannot describe there's something spiritual that happens when each and every one of us lifts up our voices in a room that a healing could take place the Bible says that one can chase a thousand and two could put 10,000 to flight. And so what happens in a room where there's people who have decided to join together? Maybe the healing's not for me this week. Maybe it's for my neighbor. So I might sing loud for my neighbor because they might need something. So I'm not going to keep my mouth closed. I won't let a rock cry out for me because there's something in this room that I can't get anywhere else. There's something that I need from God that I can't act, come in church and act cute. I've been doing church my whole life. I don't have time to play church. I don't have time to come to church and be cute. That if I come into the presence of God, I'm given another opportunity to worship this holy and magnificent King and I don't wanna miss that moment. See, desperation doesn't have a denomination. We can often say, well, I don't sing like that. I don't raise my hand like that. I don't, I don't do that. It's not my style. Oh, but when I'm desperate, when I'm desperate, it doesn't matter who's around me. If I've got to lay down at his feet, if I've got to get to the altar, if I'm desperate enough for his presence, it doesn't matter. I just need him. And I won't let a rock cry out. And so as the Jewish people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Pharisees tried to shut them up. As Jesus entered into the gates of Jerusalem, there was a loud praise. I spent some time in Israel this past November, and we had gone up from the Mount of Olives, and we'd walked down into this place called the Kidron Valley, and right across the Kidron Valley, our tour guide said, those are the gates that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this site was quite interesting because the gate that he would have entered into was sealed shut with stone. And not only was it sealed shut with stone, there was a cemetery right in front of it. And so our tour guide began to tell us that in the 1500s, the Ottoman Empire had heard prophecy of a Messiah that would come and would enter into Jerusalem through the Golden Gate. And they were fighting for this land, and so the last thing that they wanted was some Messiah to show up. And so they took some preventative measures. They filled it up with stone. And then they built a cemetery because they had heard that a high priest could not be around the dead that it would defile a high priest to be around dead things. So interesting because the Ottoman Empire didn't believe the Bible, but they still believed the Bible. They weren't Bible-believing people, but somehow they're like, we got to do whatever it takes to keep whoever this Messiah is out. And isn't that just like the enemy? To want to try to surround you with dead things, with obstacle after obstacle, if I could kill their dream, if I could stop their praise, if I could take away their vision, if I could put a dead relationship around them, 
a dead idea, dead opportunities, then maybe it will stop them from getting to what God has promised them on the other side. But the enemy was right about one thing, that the high priest cannot be around dead things. See, what I've learned and what I've seen in my own life is that when Jesus steps into a situation, when the high priest steps into a situation, no matter how dead it seems, the moment it comes in contact with him, it has got to come back to life. So if my dreams seem dead, I just got to get them around Jesus. That if my relationships seem dead, I just got to get it around Jesus because anything that comes in contact with the high priest has to live. That it has to have resurrecting power. So I don't care what seems dead in your life. That if you would just open it up to Jesus, that he would breathe on it. That he would bring new life into it. Whatever seems dead into your life, you serve a God who has resurrecting power. That whatever is dead around you cannot stay dead. I know that it seems impossible, but it can't stay dead. That if you get it around Jesus, that it has got to come to life. That every dry bone has got to come back to life. That whatever it is that you feel like in your life is dead. God can breathe life. If you open it up to him, he can breathe life. So they set up this cemetery to try to keep the high priest out, to try to keep the Messiah out, and then, and then they sealed it with stone, not knowing that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, not knowing that he had already rolled away the stone to the tomb that tried to keep him bound. See, there is nothing that can stop Jesus from getting to you. There is nothing that can stop Jesus from getting to your heart. That he will do whatever it takes. But, but let me put, bring that back. There might be something that can stop Jesus from getting to you. And that's you. If I decide to live my life closed off, if I decide to say, you know what, I don't want to open up my heart to him. I don't want to open up my eyes to him. I don't want to open up my ears. I don't want to open up my mouth. I want to stay closed off. The only person that can stop Jesus from getting to you is you. That the things that God wants to do in my life, he's saying, I want to pour out the blessings, but, but is there any room for you to receive it? Do you even want to receive it? Do you even desire to receive what God has? And he's saying, oh, I've got so much for you. I've got so much blessing. I've got so much life. I've got so much for you. But will you allow me to open up past the surface? See, you can do church for your whole life on a surface level. You can be an expert at being a Christian. You can know all the things to say. You can know when to clap. You can know when to stand. You can know when to sing. You can be a professional Christian for your entire life. But if you really want to get to know God, if you really want to allow him to do a real deep work in you, the kind of work that actually changes you, 
the kind of work that changes you not just to praise him on a Sunday or a Wednesday but actually changes your Monday through Saturday if you if you want that kind of change you've got to be open God wants to do more than a surface level work but are you willing to allow him to open up five years ago I got into a car accident in Mexico and it almost took my life I was in a coma for close to 10 days and I had two life-saving surgeries in Mexico and then I got back to Miami and they realized that my back was broken and they missed it. And I, I remember being in the emergency room and asking the doctor, is there any other way? Is there an exercise that I can do? Is there a pill I can take? Is there anything that I can do besides surgery for me to fix this broken back? He was like, unless we open you up, you will not be able to walk. You will not be able to live life to the fullest. It requires me to open you up. Oh, it's uncomfortable getting opened up. It's uncomfortable getting real. It's uncomfortable getting vulnerable. It's uncomfortable to talk about the thing that nobody knows about. But if you want God to really heal you, he's got to open you up. Oh, if, he, if you want him to go past the surface level, you've got to allow him to open you up. What God wants to do in you and through you is surgery. Oh, he wants to change you completely. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to create in you a new heart and renew a right spirit in you. He wants to do something new, but you have got to be willing to open up. You've got to be in a place where you're saying, God, you can open me up. That the places that I've hidden away, the places that, that I don't want to tell anybody about, the, the things that I wish nobody knew, God, I'm willing to open it up so that you could do a real work in me.